the history of women's rugby is is a lot shorter and not necessarily because we wanted it to be. Um, the women's first team was, um, first official rugby union team was founded in 1962 at Edinburgh University. Whereas the men's, men's first was in, I wrote it down, was 1843. <laughs> so, you know, you got over a century of history there of official play. Um, there was a lot of unofficial women's play. Um, but, you know, um, what I would love to say to the men is, is first off is obviously we want to just be treated the same. We have the same passion for the sport. We play the exact same sport. I mean, there's no, no real differences, no time. You know, this, the game is just as long. The ball is the same size, all of that stuff. The rules, we, we hit just as hard. <laughs> we try to hit just as hard <laughs> um, and things like that, you know, and with that, um, you know, with the challenges that a lot of women face, especially in contact sports, um, you know, a lot of that um, can be really helped and, and overcome um, when you are supported by the men's sides, especially when you're growing as a team. Welcome back to Knowledge Brew Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. My guests for today, for today's show, are three members of a group that is very near and dear to my heart, the Oklahoma City Crusaders Rugby Club. So just a quick backstory. Um, I work part-time collecting data uh, for Pro Football Focus, aka PFF, and to get some extra work, I expanded my skills, my data collection skills into the sport of rugby. I'd never seen a rugby game in my life, uh, but I decided to give it a try this past summer. Coincidentally, the same time I was kind of putting together this podcast. And I knew nothing about rugby. Uh, I had no idea that you only pat, you're only supposed to pass the ball, you know, backwards, uh, nothing like that. I didn't know what a scrum was or anything like that. But so I worked on a few games and I, I, my curiosity was sparked immediately. I wanted to know more about what I was watching. And I figured, hey, the best way to actually learn about the sport is to go out there and actually play rugby. So uh, I reached out to the Oklahoma City Crusaders via social media and received a quick response, you know, about practice times, location. At that time, they were practicing uh, beach rugby. Um, and so I went to a couple of practices and I was just immediately hooked on playing the sport as well. The sport is a lot of fun, um, but it's not just about the, the sport. It's, you know, it's the camaraderie you get with, you know, uh, your teammates as well. And something that really stood out to me is, you know, our, we had a, a coach initially, our former coach, he's, he's no longer coaching, but uh, Gary said to me very early on in one of those summer practices, he said, you know, when you play rugby in a group like this, you, you end up joining one of the world's largest, you know, organizations or fraternities, however you want to put it, because you can go anywhere in the world and you can jump into a group playing rugby, say in some other country, speaking some other language, and you would immediately fit in. And I thought that was just a really cool way to think about the sport. So anyways, that's kind of the roundabout way we got here today. So um, I would like to now introduce the three guests for today's show. We've got Kenny Kiever, Samantha Lovett and Greg Forrester. Uh, Greg is the current president of the Oklahoma City Crusaders. Uh, Samantha is our marketing and fundraising rep, and Kenny is the longest standing member, having been with the club since its foundation in 2007. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. How are you all doing tonight? Doing really well, thank you. Hope you're well yeah. too. <laughs> Enjoying myself, Enjoying myself for sure. Glad to be here. So, um, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Like normally I have like a whole spiel and bio for my guests and all, and we'll get through some of their, you know, individual stories kind of as we go along. But since I've got, you know, three guests, I'd like for you all to maybe just introduce yourself to the audience. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing rugby for, and also maybe how did you come, how did you come about, you know, uh, finding rugby as a sport and, and maybe, uh, what was your first experience of rugby like? Uh, there's a few questions there maybe to, to pick through. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can start. Yeah, so yeah, I'm Greg Forrester. Uh, I, I've been the president for six months now almost, and <clears throat> I've been playing rugby for three years now. 
which is not a lot. And I feel like the most underqualified person to not only be here, but also be a president. Uh, but I've been around rugby a lot, like really tangentially. So it was like really strange that it took me so long to kind of join. Um, my older brother's best friend played the whole time I've ever known him. He played for the Eagles. Uh, he played for Life University. Always told me to play. Told him to fuck off a lot. Uh, I'm not. Am I supposed to curse? I'm sorry. You can. It's totally okay. Okay. It's not a family podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I, I just wasn't interested. I don't know why. I just I did other things. It never, I always felt like I was going to get hurt. Like even as a big person, that was always just like I'm going to go out there and just get my 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 brain scrambled. Uh, but I was always around. I moved to Hawaii when I joined the Marine Corps, and three of my best friends there played in a league there. I came to watch games at their big tournament that's on Oahu every year. Like I, I've been around it a lot. So when I finally got out and moved to Oklahoma, uh, I had no friends. I lived across the street from what used to be our, our bar and I met everybody there. So it was just uh, one too many coincidences got me involved and here I am. I'll go next, I don't mind. So, um... I'm, I'm from Scotland and rugby is pretty big in Scotland and there were teams in my hometown, um, teams at the university I went to, but I didn't actually get started until I was in my early 20s, which I will always regret. The only rugby experience I had before that was we had a um, like a traditional fifth year v sixth year girls match um, in high school, which is like the last two years of school. And I just remember loving the practices and the games so much and our team won in fifth year and then in sixth year. So I was very happy about that. But, you know, then I went on to university and I didn't I didn't keep it up. And back then it's better now for girls now, I believe. But um, and in my hometown, there's a really good women's program now. But back then I just, you know, at that age, I wasn't really encouraged a lot by people to play. A lot of women aren't encouraged all the time to play such physical sports. Um, more so now, I think like every generation it's getting better. Um, but for myself, yeah, and, and I, went, I went to uni and I actually, I, I, instead of joining the rugby team, I joined the equestrian team. And then I went off to South Korea and met my husband. There's a lot in between there. <laughs> but then I ended up in California where um, I had heard that a rugby team was getting started again, a women's rugby team in San Luis Obispo. Um, and I contacted the women that was starting that, um, kind of rebooting the team. They hadn't had a team for about five years there. And I got started and I just got immediately hooked. And I loved the social side of everything because I had just moved to California. I was new there, had no friends there yet. And I um, just loved the camaraderie and everything that comes along with rugby. And um, like you mentioned, like what Gary had said to you about this, you know, worldwide fraternity, it really is just like that. And um, with my husband's job in the Air Force, like we move every four years, but I pretty much the minute I find out where we're moving, I Google to see if they have a rugby team and I get in touch with them like years in advance sometimes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember like we had a whole year between moving from California to Germany and I, I like contacted the team there and and I did the same for the Crusaders here. And um, yeah, I've just loved it ever since. And, you know, I've had a few breaks in my, my rugby career with uh, pregnancies and knee injuries and things like that. But yeah, I've, I've just loved it. And it's something, it's like just, it's something I can always count on when I move. I feel like there's just someone there. I can just plant myself. It's great. <laughs> That's real. That is really cool because if you say you're moving every four years, it's probably really hard to find consistency or stability. And to have that, just knowing you have at least that, I mean, obviously you have family and, you know, people you're traveling, you're moving with, but that's, yeah, that's huge. That's really cool. Yes, guaranteed friend group, like instant friend group and like bonus family when I move. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I remember vividly coming to my last high school wrestling match, and I was pretty certain at that point I was not going to be able to go on to wrestle in college. Um, it was just a level I never got to. But I didn't want to go home after school, so I had to find something to do. And so I spent a really weird three weeks on the track team trying to learn to throw the disc, which if you haven't done it all along and you're not a big guy, you're just not good at. Um, and so about three weeks in, I went with some of my friends one night and 
we partied up the next morning i got woken up in a horrible hangover and it was one of my oldest friends role was on the phone he's like hey you got to come up to the the school which luckily was walking distance he said yeah Stuart's dad is gonna show us a new sport all right figure if nothing else i'll lose a hangover and i go up there we're on the soccer field and Stuart's dad, this guy who I'd gone to school with for several years, his dad was from England and was president of the Missouri Union at the time. So he's like, we're going to start a rugby team here at high school. And he showed people kind of how to tackle and kind of the idea of passing. And then he just split the whole group into two sides and threw in a ball and we just kind of played. I mean, it wasn't any, no scrums or lineouts, but just a lot of running and tackling. It was a lot of fun. And the thing that I think hooked me was my first road trip ever. And we took that high school team to Kansas city and ended up in Lawrence, Kansas, because the fields in Kansas city were under repair or something. So we went to university of Kansas and played on their field, but we, we got builded with the, the school that invited us and they were a very wealthy school in Kansas city. Um, you've probably seen a billboard for the, diamond company that the guy I was builded with is probably owner of now. Um, and so we got to be there for their big spring party, which was a lobster and lowenbrow party. These people would, the kids would go door to door in their neighborhoods in January, taking orders for fresh lobster. And then in April, fly it in and get some ridiculous amount of kegs of brown. They had this big party. And I just, I, f- I found myself that night, I'm in a bush in a park in Kansas city in the middle of the night with a police helicopter flying over and in the bush with me are six of these beautiful rich girls that I don't know at all, but this is great. And I just said, you know, if this is what rugby road trips are like, I, I gotta keep doing this. So luckily I came to university of Oklahoma that had a great rugby club and just been going ever since. That's amazing. Three, three very different, unique ways of coming to rugby, but, but all, all great. Cool. So, Kenny, I want to kind of stick with you for just a moment since you've been with the club for so long. I'm really curious, you know, how you said you played with OU rugby before, um, but how specifically does, you know, a club like the Oklahoma City Crusaders, how did they come to be? Because more specifically, how do you go about creating a rugby club? And then specifically, you're in a country where rugby isn't, you know, one of the most, it's not a very popular sport relative to other sports. And you're in a state where there already is a lot of time and, and thought dedicated to football. So how did, how did it come about? How did it go about creating this club? And, you know, um, what have been some maybe the challenges of creating a club in, in this state or in, in this culture, perhaps? So I guess to kind of set the stage, I'll go back years before Crusaders. When I first came to Oklahoma in 1988, there was a strong rugby presence within Oklahoma, we were part of a union called the Ozarks, which was Oklahoma and Arkansas kind of smashed together and abbreviated. Um, and it, that union was born out of a rebellion because everybody had been in Heart of America Union and all the guys in Arkansas and Oklahoma looked around and said, why are we driving six hours every weekend when we could just drive to each other and have our own union? And so it was basically, we'll just do our own thing, you know, Thanks for having us by. And there's, there's been kind of a grudge ever since, but that was in the seventies, but no. So I got here in 88 and there was a good, strong rugby presence. And the main club sides in the union at the time was, OU had a club side as well as the university side, the old Oklahoma city team, Tulsa, little rock and Fort Sill. And I mean, it was a pretty good union competition. Everybody was a D one side. We all competed to tournaments to go to the national championship every year. Um, And it went on for a while. And then I think out of all the years I was there from 88 to 2001, there were only two years where the OU club didn't win the union championship. And so what you ended up having was Fort Sill had kind of fallen apart a little bit with the first Gulf war and guys coming in and out and the other three teams stayed strong, but they really got tired of losing to OU. So at that time, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Little Rock all dropped to D2. And it created a situation where we had nobody to play, you know, towards going to the, the Western Championship. So we had an automatic bid to the championship tournament. Well, 
Texas Rugby Union, Heart of America, and Eastern Rockies all got bent out of shape over that and created a system where the second place team from whichever union won the West tournament could challenge us for our spot. And it, it got really stupid. I mean, we ended up the first time we did it, we had to play the Dallas Harlequin Super League team on Easter Sunday. I mean, there's no way we were going to win. It was a bit of a joke. But, you know, that was the one year they had lost to the Reds and it was a mess. Well, anyway, what ends up happening is after we getting disqualified from even surviving all that nonsense, uh, in 2001, the OU Rugby Club just kind of evaporated. So there was only a university side. And it wasn't long after that, 2003, the old Oklahoma City Club kind of just fell apart and disappeared. So that left Little Rock and Tulsa playing D2 against nobody even knows. What ends up happening is I end up kind of vagabonding around, catching games with Fort Sill when they have a team, going to tournaments with Tulsa when they need somebody. And this goes on to about 2006, and I was kind of hanging around OU still, helping with the college side. And Steve Martindale, who you may have heard and may have met at Rocktoberfest, his nickname is Boozer. He, was, he played at Oklahoma City until they finally beat OU, which was put the record at 75-1. and one. Um, But he, and he told us that I'd play for you guys if you'd have let us win sooner. But anyway, he played with us for a lot of years at OU. And he called me up and said, hey, you know, we're kind of, we got kind of a rugby team going up here in the city. You want to come run with us? I mean, there's no other team for you. I was like, well, yeah, that's better than driving to Lawton. So I went up and um, it was Boozer and Marcus Berger. And our first coach was a guy from England who'd been an eight man for the uh, all British Navy team. And he was there. And then the rest of the guys were all pretty young. And it was guys like Matt Stevenson, also known as Cowboy. Um, you may have met him at the Rucktoberfest legs. A bunch of those guys, they'd all played a little bit in high school together and kind of filled out this side. And what we were doing is that for that fall, we would travel down to Lawton and help Fort Sill fill out their team and play in Texas D3, but we'd all practice in Oklahoma City. That was a pretty good deal. And about four matches in, I was sitting having a beer with Boozer and the coach and everybody, and I said, we could do this. We could make our own team. And they're like, well, we've been thinking about that. I said, okay. And so there came one practice night. We used to practice at Stars and Stripes Park on that really crusty baseball field, which in the cold isn't very fun. Um, but we had practice and a little meeting after, and the coach said, okay, we're going to name the team tonight. He said, we've got two names, and uh, it's either going to be Stormers or it's going to be Crusaders. And the reason oh, wow. I've settled on these two is because they're both super rugby teams. They both have name recognition around the world. And it's just going to help us, should we go on tour or anything else, to have a name of a rugby club that's kind of known. And the vote came back Crusaders. And my conditions were, I'll keep playing for this team, but I have, a, I have three demands. One is, I want us, if we're going to try to do this, we're going to try to win. We're not going to be like the old Oklahoma City team that had a lot of fun, but like I said, their record against OU was 75-1. and one. I mean, 1-75. and 75. But anyway... And I said, the second one is I'm not wearing green and gold like the old Oklahoma City team. I just won't do that. And I said, my third demand is, you know, since you pick Crusaders, let's go with that same color scheme, the colors of victory, red, black, and white. And so those demands are met, and we had a team, and we finished up the season, made playoffs as Fort Sill with those guys. And then we got busy, and, you know, myself and Marcus and the coach drew up the bylaws. Marcus did a lot of the work to get the uh, – uh, nonprofit status secured. And by that July, we'd have voted, you know, I, I voted against being in a union then, but we voted to be in Texas D3 and it turned out okay for a while. And we, uh, by July, 2007, we were a team. And as far as how it happens, I'd say it takes, I mean, a little bit of luck, a little bit of magic um, and just, guys that are willing to do it. I mean, you gotta be willing to put in a bunch of effort. Cause I mean, we did field improvements. We did all kinds of stuff. I mean, and it was everybody, there's only like 16 of us total. And so we were all doing it. Um, field improvements, recruiting, trying to get a scrum machine, which 
was one of the funnier things that ever happened. This guy tried to build one and he made it of the lightest gauge metal possible. I mean, my kid could push that thing that we used to have. We had to put it like chain it to a fence so it couldn't be moved. So we didn't just launch it across the field and we hit it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just takes, it just takes people that want to do it. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is the want to, if you want to do it, it'll happen. Awesome. I've, I've got a few takeaways from that initially, Kenny. One, uh, like many great ideas happening over beer, uh, friends sitting around over beer. There you go. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> got another, got a couple quick questions. How close was the vote on the name? Was it close? Is there some, in my set, my follow-up question, is there some like a uh, box of t-shirts with Oklahoma city stormers somewhere that like, oh. you know, those, like those Super Bowl alternative shirts that never, that never see the light of the day. <laughs> I think I would happily maybe, wear one of those. I would yeah. love that. Yes. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was maybe three or four votes, but no, we didn't have any gear made up for quite a while. I mean, the first thing we had, I'm wearing the original crusader Jersey. Oh, nice. Um, and that was the first thing we had. And we got these because there was a special world rugby shop. You got socks, shorts, and a Jersey for 50 bucks a person. And I mean, that's about, you know, that's about as good as it gets. Um, and so we wore these for several years. And then we finally started getting different jerseys. Some people were convinced they were getting tackled because their Jersey was the wrong material or not tight enough. And, you know, I just told them, Hey, you need to go talk to Chris van about uh, running faster and stiff arming harder. And you'll see how that works. But <laughs> There you go. Yeah, it's a lot better than a tight jersey, that's for sure. Yeah, there's the recipe for success. Greg, did you have something? Were you going to jump in and say something? I couldn't tell if you were. Yeah, I was just going to like color like the say rugby as a whole is like where where it all lives and like they did is 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 a lot. Right now, just trying to to learn how to manage the website, and I'm sure back then it was even weirder. Like it's it's a it's a weird like governing uh, agency that doesn't do it's because it's based on these regional unions and like it's it's a really weird environment to try to build something out of nowhere so like they really did put in a ton of work to make it happen like just just now to, to get get it to continue to exist season after season is a lot of work so the the my hats are off to the guys that that work at the beginning like it is so yeah, that's really cool to hear. That's exactly why I asked for to have you know multiple perspectives here. You know, we have we have uh, we have perspective from where the club uh, started from, and now we can kind of see where where it's heading to. And so, I guess it sort of you know segues into my my next question. And I think you know maybe all of you can address this from your perspective. But you know, since you've been you know think about your time as members of the Oklahoma City Crusaders. What are some of the biggest challenges you think that have faced the club, maybe historically or uh, and then also possibly going forward? I know, Greg, you've been talking about, you know, keeping the club going as far as, you know, its status with the union, also tax status and things like that. I'm sure there's a whole set of, of challenges there if you want to uh, touch on that, perhaps. You're on. I'll just say, like, like, in my experience with Crusaders in the last three years, it like COVID, like everything else, has just ripped, messed up everything. Yeah. Like, like the fact, like it's the fact it was hard. To, you weren't allowed to be around each other, and then it was like, do I want to? Once it was, people were getting more used to it and feeling things out. Uh, it made recruiting really hard. It made retention really hard. It made fundraising really hard. And so, in the the past few years, I would say like that's been the the biggest thing that's put us in like a rebuilding mode is the fact that we couldn't we couldn't recruit we couldn't play it's hard to run a, squ a, a squad when there's no game stop i mean I, I'll, I'll keep going i mean other than that like it, like rugby like everyone has already said is everywhere and once you're in you want to keep going like like now that we're getting things going it's so easy to call guys that used to play or or have played and they're back in the area and just be like hey man you, you interested in coming out? And like all of them want. It's just there's a, like most of the time it's just like yes I do. Like I'm coming. Like you guys got games, I'll be there. It it just becomes then just like does it fit in their life and all those other things because like it is one of those sports that once you once you once you're hooked you're hooked. 
I couldn't agree more with the with that statement. And you know, yeah, I and just to reiterate, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> just to reiterate what Greg said, a big thing um, that's faced big issue that's faced so many clubs all over the world this year is COVID. I mean, some clubs have completely dissolved, unfortunately, because of the numbers and things like that. So when I moved here, right kind of in the middle of COVID really, and I came here August, 2020, and um, there was only like a couple people, a few people coming to practice and kind of no consistent coaching because there were rules against even having practice at the time. So people were just kind of getting together in small groups when they could. Um, so it's just building up from there. And what I've noticed from a lot of, a lot of teams that I've been on is, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to build when you have small numbers at practice, you really want to be recruiting and rebuilding when you have those big numbers at practice. So it's a real uphill battle when you have so few. So that's kind of the, the biggest, you know, challenge, making sure that the people you do have are able to come out. It's a lot of pressure on a small group in the beginning. Um, and, you know, like with Kenny in the beginning, that it was, a, it was, you know, each of those people had to put in a lot of effort to make that kind of dream come true and become a reality to have a team. And that's kind of um, what the team was like last year. And we've been rebuilding all year and it's been it's been great. We're kind of overcoming those challenges together. <laughs> I'd say the, the biggest long term challenge from looking at a team over 15 years is patience, because a lot of things happen people come and go between teams or just with jobs and you have different lineups. But the reality is even with something like COVID or the Gulf Wars or anything like that, rugby will still happen. As long as there's people like us that want to, it'll still happen. It may not be look exactly the way we want it to look and the fields might be not so great. Goalposts might be made of cardboard, but it'll happen. And you, you just, it, I know it's an old guy saying this stuff, but you just, you just got to look at it and say, okay, if the guys are showing up and there's a ball and a try line and some cold beer, I think we're okay. I think we'll be there. So that's really encouraging to hear. I like that. I like that uh, bit of positivity there. Yeah. And you know, things with COVID it's, it's so unpredictable uh, right now, but it's, you know, uh, great to see people still coming out, still playing, and still excited about the sport. So that, that can only be a good thing. Um, I want to hear from, you know, you each have varying levels of, you know, experience, time playing rugby with different clubs and you know, things like that. So I'm really curious about your uh, opinions on these next few questions. So what, in your opinion, maybe is the most overstated, or maybe another way of putting this, what is the, maybe the biggest misconception about rugby um so for just for an example and you can go another way if you'd like does the sport get an unfair reputation for being too violent is that a misconception perhaps or is there something else you think uh as well that you'd like to touch on i can take this one to start um so it's it's interesting because i i just had a conversation actually with a guy called adam hughes recently who's um writing a book about rugby culture and he asked me a very similar question and we, we started talking about how it's so interesting and it's, it's really kind of come to the surface in the last couple of years is how we, we play this really physical and from the outside violent sport, but yet we are one of these most like inclusive communities and where people are really, especially nowadays, encouraged to talk about mental health issues and things like that. And I think what, what I've been involved with in the last year is this Facebook group quarantine chuggers and it got started the minute you know rugby you know there was no more rugby to start quarantine and and that meant no more get togethers with your with your friends with your rugby family and in about a week this page that was created to bring rugby players together all over the world gained 48,000 members in like a week oh, wow. so that's 48,000 people posting videos just of having a drink, like the whole, the whole purpose was, you know, you post a chug video and introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your club. And it evolved into something so much more than that, where people really, you know, they'd go to the page asking for help with their mental health issues. They'd go to the, they'd made, made friends and people have now like met up and gone to tournaments together. And it's just become this wonderful place where this is encouraged. And I mean, I think about other sports and I can't think of anything else that gets canceled and the 50,000 of them get together online and start talking about their mental health and how they needed rugby for it. And I just think I love, I love that. So, 
yeah, I mean, it, the, the sport is physical, but there's so much more else to it. And it's kind of beautiful in a way that's such like a crazy, violent, <laughs> sometimes violent um, physical sport can also have this much softer side. That's, I, I, I love that about the community anyway. Yeah, I'd like to caveat off that. I think the perfect description, like when I was getting just rugby described to me is that it's a, a, a hooligans game played by gentlemen, whereas soccer is a, a gentleman's game played by hooligans. That's so fantastic. I, I, and like, I, I'll speak from my own experience. Like I, I was, I thought it was going to be so, so violent. Like the only experience I'd seen watching rugby, like other than until I was in my, in my mid twenties was just the highlights on internet of people literally just getting destroyed like all of the worst hits or the worst injuries like that people just like cut together and so you just think that's all it is and coming from like I was a football player forever like when I was just at like at the end of my football career is when they started teaching the same type of tackling for safety that rugby does, has, had, did, had done the whole time so there are things that you don't know about rugby like that you safe like people like protect their heads because we don't wear anything you have to and it's one of those things where like you, you, everyone's trying really hard, but they also respect each other. So like you, you're not out there to hurt them. You're out there to win and then enjoy it after. Like the fact that there's socials after, like you want the person that you're playing uh, against, you want like, not only you want to tackle them, you want to fuck them up, but you also want to chug a beer with them after. And like, that is like the great equalizer. You, you were friends after. I can attest to that. The, the, my most uh, recent rugby experience, I got absolutely blown up uh, by, by an opposite winger, but managed to have a beer with him afterwards at the social. And I, and Sam, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, there's, you know, what other sport are, you know, people connecting in this way. And I think the same thing, Greg, you mentioned the socials too. It's like, you know, you don't see that after a basketball game or a football game, maybe they'll go to the bar or something, whatever they might get together, but to actually plan it ahead of time, like, no, we're going to beat the shit out of each other. And then go have a beer afterwards and be friends, like knowingly, like that's really cool. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say it's interesting. Um, one of the earliest written versions of the laws of rugby had a law in it that said players must be gentlemen in that they are willing to not only give but take hard knocks with a smile. And so it, I don't know that it's ever been a question that you're gonna get beat up a little bit playing. Um, it's just what happens on the field generally stays on the field. I mean, you don't, you know, it's not like the high school football game where the game happens and then the idiots come off the buses in the parking lot and have at each other. It's okay. We just did 80 minutes of, uh, controlled cavalry charges into each other. You know, we're going to go and sit and eat something and drink and say, Hey, you know, how's your wife? How's your kids? And, and, you know, sing a song and basically, hey, we lived a little bit better than everybody today and, and have that as an experience. And I mean, that's not to say that things don't happen on the field. It's just generally with the, some, like maybe one or two exceptions in my entire career, it's never continued off the field. And I think those one or two exceptions were one or two guys that I did something pretty, what's the word? Uh, I guess you could say awful to on the field. and. Afterwards, I showed up, went right up to them with a beer for them and said, hey, I am sorry. I should not have done that. I apologize. Here's a beer. And I've only ever had two people tell me, no, I don't want your beer, blah, 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 and get all mad. So, Well, it sounds like you walk away with an extra beer. So win-win either way for, for you <laughs> in that situation. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to flip it around. What is maybe the most underrated aspect of playing rugby? Or maybe you've, some of you have already maybe addressed this in some way, but if there's something uh, you think is maybe underrated about rugby that doesn't maybe get enough, uh, enough uh, talk when people mention rugby. I mean, for me, it's, it's the self-confidence you get. Because when you go on the field every Saturday – and every Tuesday and Thursday with your own mates, you're not squaring off against weak and flimsy people. You know, you're going against tough, hard, mean people. And so when you have that, it allows you to carry that same confidence into the courtroom or into the boardroom or into whatever your, your career takes you. And you can look people in the eye and you can tell them the truth 
you know, in no uncertain terms and know that, well, if nothing else, they may disagree and they may hate me, but they're going to listen and they're going to respect. And that's, there's not a lot of corners of society that provide that for people who participate. I mean, you won't get that from Little League Baseball or something like that. Yeah, we'll um, kind of add on to that a little bit about confidence and um, take it into more of like a, a body confidence kind of situation. And I think, um, I know it definitely applies to a lot of women in rugby and it certainly applies to men as well. Um, but I'll just talk from my experience is um, that, you know, you, you grow up and you kind of pressure to look a certain way sometimes. And and when I, when I joined a rugby team, it, it just... I completely kind of shifted the way I thought about my body and, and the way that it looks and rather was more, what was more important is the way that it was functioning and how healthy I felt. And, you know, I'd go to practice and I would have a good night if I had like, you know, made sure to eat enough that day and eat well enough that day and that I was strong enough and I was training outside of practice so that I wasn't pulling muscles at practice. And it wasn't, you know, turning up and looking the best in my shorts or whatever, which was more, you know, what I kind of focused more on in high school. And, um, you know, there's been there's been a lot of studies done on like body confidence and on for women and girls, especially how joining any kind of sport or team sport can really help with that because your attitude kind of shifts from um, like, you know, focusing on the attractiveness, attractiveness of a body and more on the function. And that's what, you know, you surround yourself by people who praise you for how fast you are, how strong you are, how big you are, that it becomes, you realize like, oh, like, like these big thunder thighs are actually an asset, <laughs> you know? So it, that's something that's um, certainly has been my, from my experience anyway. And, you know, when you look at a rugby team and all of the different body sizes on a men's team and a women's team, you can really see how, you know, anyone can feel comfortable and be praised, you know, you've got your long and lean skinny guys who are running on the wings and then your bigger, more stout guys, the strong ones, and everybody has a job to do. Like everybody's body has a job to do. Yeah, I think Jenny and Sam hit all of the intangible things like so well. We've already talked about the social and the, the, the acceptiveness and, and everything that comes with rugby off the field, but like on the field, like as someone who played a bunch of other sports, like, it, you don't get appreciation for the flow and the, the, the continuous, like constantly like looking for a new, a gap, constantly running, constantly getting back to find space, constantly thinking about the next play and how magical it can be to make a good play in, in a split second and how fun that can be. It's, it's a totally different sport than anything else. Like soccer pretends to be what rugby is with the way they move the ball back forwards and backwards and whatever. But like, like, like rugby will, will find the gap and doesn't put a through ball in and works 2% of the time. You're putting a human through that, holding the ball and running into contact on purpose. It, 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 it's just magical out of the field. Like once you get a team. Well, first of all, shots fired by Greg uh, with the drive-by shooting on soccer. <laughs> I love it. It's great. No, and, and he's basically, I think all you've said, you know, everything you've said has been so true up to this point. Uh, but Greg, I, I completely agree. Just seeing the hard work that comes in, you know, running plays and running, you know, running sets and all these things that goes into executing correct rugby and, and executing to the point where you score a try it, it is sort of magical the way you can get 15 people to coordinate in such a way that it all comes together, um, which is very unique for, for a sport. I mean, in so many levels, that is such a unique aspect about rugby that other sports may sort of mimic, like you said, soccer and maybe other sports might mimic that, but uh, it doesn't exactly come uh, to the same thing. So I kind of want to switch gears and I really want, I want to get uh, Samantha's perspective on this one because you know, the Oklahoma City Crusaders, it's it's one club, but it's also two teams. You know, we have a men's team. We also have a women's team. You know, both sides have a lot of talent, but also are sort of in a rebuilding stage right now, you know, for the upcoming 2022 season. Um, so this question will, will be for Samantha specifically. What what do you think male players of rugby should know about their their female 
teammates, their counterparts, you know, those who are on a, maybe if you're in a situation like the Oklahoma city crusaders, or you've got a men's side and a women's side, what could the men uh, use to know about their, their female players? Yeah. So um, I have a lot to say, say on this topic, but a lot of it positive um, as well. You know, the history of women's rugby is, is a lot shorter and not necessarily because we wanted it to be. Um, the women's first team was, um, first official rugby union team was founded in 1962 at Edinburgh University. Whereas the men's, men's first was in, I wrote it down, was 1843. <laughs> so, you know, you got over a century of history there of official play. Um, there was a lot of unofficial women's play. Um, but, you know, um, what I would love to say to the men is, is, first off, is obviously we want to just be treated the same. We have the same passion for the sport. We play the exact same sport. I mean, there's no, no real differences, no time. You know, this, the game is just as long. The ball is the same size, all of that stuff. The rules, we, we hit just as hard. <laughs> we try to hit just as hard <laughs> um, and things like that, you know. And with that, um, you know, with the challenges that a lot of women face, especially in contact sports, um, you know, a lot of that um, can be really helped and, and overcome um, when you are supported by the men's sides, especially when you're growing as a team. Um, and I don't, you know, just mean like being the cheerleaders on, on the sidelines for us, but really supporting the team, the growth, the longevity of a team and, and, and talk, talking about women playing, encouraging their daughters to play, um, encouraging, you know, their wives to play, getting people on board and all of that. Um, I think it's just really, you know, important. And from what I've seen anyway, is that men's teams who support the women's side through those different challenges that we face, um, it does end up being more successful for everybody in the long run. You know, they're they're gonna, you know, I've got two boys, I want them to play rugby, but if men in rugby were assholes to me all the time, I wouldn't encourage them, you know, but it is. And, you know, we are so grateful to have such a great, like encouraging men's side that help us through those things. Um, and I think just when I talk about those challenges um, and you see those challenges in women's sports from grassroots levels all the way to professional levels and just visibility in the media and young girls, just even just being able to see and imagine what you can become, you know, you can't, you can't become what you can't see. So the more people talk about it and more people support us, it's, it's wonderful. And then, you know, as, as you get older, you know, we have other, other issues with recruitment and, and retaining players because people are having babies <laughs> and you know you got to make it a family-friendly atmosphere as well because you're going to lose out on a lot of your players men and women in in like their mid-30s and stuff like that and that can be like a really solid number of people for a team so yeah I would just say like just support us kind of be aware and um you know be like mindful of the history of women's rugby and how short it is and the challenges that are faced um, I think, yeah, I'd say that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super interesting that it's it's so different. Like the the time span is so different. Like watching women's rugby, like I I'm a grew up in a basketball fan. I watch, I watch the NBA. I watch the NBA. Like I, and it's I, I see a lot of comparisons because the same as rugby, the sport is the exact same. Of course, in, in basketball, well, there's a, the basketball is a, a different size, but the rest is all the same. And like the way you watch NBA players support the WNBA, I think it's, and I think like women's rugby and women's basketball get like a bad rap for just being a slightly different piece. Mm -hmm. But like, if you actually know the sport, like it can be more technical, it can be more efficient. It can be like the motion of the game is so much more poetic for lack of a better word. Like it's yeah. just more, like it's 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 fun to watch but you, it takes you, you have to know the game better and I think that's what challenges a lot of people from from diving right in when yeah. you can watch like the NBA basketball is about dunking and three-point shots and like you can not know anything about basketball and, and and people still like put it on and drink beers or whatever like mm -hmm. rugby is the same way it's it, it can be it, it's it's so fun to watch but it does require a little bit more appreciation for the game yeah. and uh, yeah I think saying that, that 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 way came off a little wrong but like I hope that made a little um, no no I I get that you know and yeah. I find that like once you you know you become more interested in something once you 
understand the game and and start to know the players because something people will watch for certain players and things like that and and you know the more that women's rugby is put out there and spoken about people will become more aware of, of that kind of thing but um what's great is actually um i read somewhere and i i guess don't quote me on this or quote me on this but i will find i will find where they said this but that women's rugby specifically women's rugby is the fastest growing sport in the world at the moment and a lot of that is to do with, you know, um, sevens being um, part of the, the in the 2016 Olympics and, you know, it's more on the world stage and yeah, it's just, it's getting out there. And this summer there was a big uptick in people taking up rugby because of um, Ilona Marr um, created this TikTok account and started posting videos from the Olympics and everybody started watching and finding out about rugby. And yeah, it was, it's been great. It's been a great year for women's rugby actually. Wow. Like our mission is still the same from 2007 and it's to to promote and grow rugby in central Oklahoma like fundamentally that's what we're trying to do and we're trying to continue the legacy of rugby that has been described to this point like the the accepted the the, the that everyone is accepted the fact that it's a sport for everyone and that you respect the players you're playing you respect the serve you respect laws like it, it's we're just trying to make sure like that continues to exist in central Oklahoma and like it's it's easy because everyone who's part of rugby wants that too we're just doing our part in central Oklahoma so normally the president you know you know like United States they'll give like a state of the union address so I'll ask you just a quick follow-up a question what it what is the state of the of our, our how is the state of the uh, Oklahoma City Crusaders, what? How would you sum it up? Uh, I mean, we're on the rise. We're on the rise. I mean, the men's side is just it is. Um, we got twenty three registered players, which is a full side, which is the first time in two years, I think. And like that's super exciting. We're gonna have a spring season. We're setting ourselves up for the for the a full fall and spring season for twenty two twenty three. Uh, we got invited for to be uh, to try to uh, to send men down for a travel sevens team next summer. Today, actually, I haven't even told anybody. This is the first time I'm bringing it up. Uh, wow. So, oh, here, here first. And so, like, there's lots of things out there, and and I would say our current board is is focused on making it sustainable. Like, we want long term to have our own field, and to be a place where people want to have tournaments here. And we want to celebrate our legacy with our alumni. And we want to be around ideally forever. And we, so that's what we're, the goal is, is after being in the low numbers we were, is slowly build up sustainability, so. I like that, sustainability. That's a, that's a fantastic goal. All right, so I think each of you have kind of addressed this in a number of ways, but I want to go back around and make sure we touch on this because I think it's really interesting. Um, and I'd love to hear from each of you on this. In what ways has rugby influenced, you know, other ways of your life outside of rugby, like outside of the pitch? What are some positive ways that playing rugby has influenced your life? I'll go. So, um, you know, I had mentioned earlier about um, body confidence. It's helped me feel confident in a lot of different areas of my life. And through different, through different stages, you know, um, through different stages and pregnancies and injuries and all of that kind of stuff. Sorry, he's been a little bit fussy. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on, buddy. Speaking of pregnancies, here's one I made. I made a couple months ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, with, with rugby, and you know rugby teams everywhere I move kind of I, I I have this like I said you know I have an automatic like friend group where I go um and it, it never really mattered that um you know my recovery time from um giving birth or having having a knee injury or something I always felt confident going back and that people would understand and I I would um it really helped my mental health after both of the babies things like that and um what's you know it it, it really helped me avoid any kind of like loneliness when having a young child as well, like moving somewhere and being on your own. So things like it's, it's, I would say it's probably helped me 
um, avoid postpartum depression, which I had a little bit of the first time. And that was before I'd met my rugby team. Whereas this time, you know, I had people, I had something, something that was just for me to focus on getting back to. And it wasn't just, you know, I could still have a part of myself and get back to it. So for me, that's been really important. And, and you know, from a lot of other mothers, I know that do play rugby, that's been, that's like the highlight for them about their rugby careers is that it, it gave them something that was always their own after becoming a mother. And they weren't just, you know, they weren't just a mom, they were still a rugby player and they could go and they could, you know, hit people on the weekend and then go, go home and, you know, cook dinner and raise some children during the week. <laughs> But yeah, that's been important for me, for sure. Yeah, mine is not as profound as that. <laughs> that that I, I wish I could offer you something that good. Uh, for, I mean, me, like rugby, rugby offered me a way to love Oklahoma. Like I, I moved here for a job. I didn't know anybody. And like, like uh, this is home now, like, which is weird. Like I, I'm from Michigan. There was lakes there was in Hawaii or the East Coast. Like, I've never been away from water and I'm here and like, I don't see myself leaving for a while. And so like this place has given me friends and purpose and all this stuff that I just didn't realize I was missing. And now I have it. So I, I don't want to. That's amazing. What about you, Kenny? Well, I'm going to paint a scenario first because it's it's kind of a one that a lot of rugby players go through, and I'll show you how it goes into real life. Um, imagine it's about 30 degrees, rain and sleet, fields in bad shape, your team's having a tough day, the scoreboard's not in your favor, you've been hit so hard you're pretty sure your ancestors felt it, um, you're bleeding out of your head and your face, your knee doesn't want to work right, and here goes your mates past you. And your only thought is, I'm getting up. I can't get up, but I am getting up. And you do. And so that thing follows you into the rest of your life in that, one, you get up for the people around you in your life. You still have, you have that same resolve from the rugby field to do that. But you also get up because you know, even if you can't see them, the people in your life, just like your mates on the field, will be behind you. And they'll, they'll, you know, you may not hear it till the last second, but they'll be behind you. And we all have stuff in life that just sucks. I mean, whether it's somebody dies, whether it's a relationship just takes a hard left turn, a job goes wrong, whatever it is. And it's tough. It's tough to get through. It's tough to wrestle with it the whole bit. But from playing rugby, you get that resolve that fine, that sucks. And I got to deal with it, but you know what? I'm still getting out of bed in the morning and I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep going because somebody's going to be along in support any minute. That's just, you know, you, when you have that, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, you, you can, it, it, like I said, it, it won't always be fun. It's going to hurt, but you'll get through. What a great metaphor for life. It's, it's going to hurt sometimes, but it's going to, it could be a lot of fun. I like that. I like that. And I think it's, you've all, you've all touched on some really interesting aspects about rugby and how it's influenced your life. And I think I can, I can, I can definitely empathize with a lot of those experiences, but I think personally for me, it's just, it's, it's reaffirmed my belief that it's possible to make friends with people past your thirties. I feel like the older I get, it's just harder and harder to do that, to make friends. And you're like, Oh wait, there's like all there's like 20, 30 people out here that are all awesome and they want to do the same thing and run around and and you know drink beer afterwards. Great. All right, cool. My faith in humanity and, and all of that is restored. So um we are we are starting to kind of wrap things up on this episode of Knowledge Brew Supreme. I have a couple more questions, um, some some lighter questions. So, you know, maybe each of you again can touch on this. Um why should somebody, if somebody's listening to this podcast right now, and maybe they're considering playing rugby, but they have zero experience doing so, what would be your words of encouragement to say, hey, you know, come out and try this out? How would you, how would you try to encourage somebody to come out and play rugby or try, try rugby for the first time? It doesn't take experience to be tough. Ooh. I like and that's all you then I mean, that's all you really need to start. Like, We'll teach you how to catch. We'll teach you how to throw. Anybody can run. 
we'll find a position for you. Like that, really, that's it. Like it, and it's so quick to go from nothing to playing. Like Kenny brought up, they, they taught him a couple rules and they were tackling in the same day. Like <laughs> you can do that. It, so it's, it, it's one of those games that yes, to play at a super high level, you need to know so many things and lots of intricate details. But to play and to enjoy rugby, you need like two skills and some willpower. Like it is, and then you get, you still get all the benefits that we've already talked about that are off, off the field. Like it is, you're, you're in as soon as you throw your first pass and take and get tackled. Like that's it, you're in. I saw a funny post today actually that said, and it was like a, a picture, like a cartoon picture of two old rugby players in like the kind of old jerseys. And it said, everything can kill you. So choose something fun. <laughs> So I guess my thing would be like, why not? Why not? Just come on out. <laughs> There's a place for every everyone. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I always tell people, you know, you're not stuck on just offense or defense. You get to do everything. Um, everybody runs the ball. Everybody tackles. Everybody can score. You know, it doesn't matter how big you are. I mean, if you're willing to make that tackle, your bones are going to jar that big guy's bones just as much. There's no difference. Um, and it's like really cheap. I mean, you get a pair of soccer boots, some shorts, the team will probably have a shirt for you to wear, get you a little rubber mouthpiece and come on out. I mean, what a, every other sport, you got to buy equipment, you got to buy stuff. And you just really, as a beginning rugby player, you don't have to, it is like a great, this awesome sport that you don't have to spend a ton of money on at first. That's very underrated. A very understated, very low barrier of entry for, for coming out and playing. And there's very few things better than a rugby road trip. Kenny already hit on it earlier, but I will reiterate it again. <laughs> yeah. We're again, we're wrapping things up and I want to, uh, I want to ask Samantha about this specific question because you're in charge of social media and advertising and all that, all that good stuff. So where, how can the listeners of this show find out more about the Oklahoma City Crusaders if they wanted to play or if they just wanted to come out and watch or get involved in some way? How could, how could someone go about doing that? Right. So our website at the moment is playrugbyokc.com. And we are also on Facebook and we're on Instagram at OKC Crusaders. So you can get on there and message on Facebook or Instagram and I will message you right back and I will give you all the details. Um, and we're currently practicing Tuesday and Thursday at Washington Park at 6.30 p.m. until 8.30 p.m. So we'll be out there. We also have a general purpose email, OKCCrusaders <laughs> at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yep, email too. Awesome. <laughs> And of course, I will add those to the show notes uh, when people, you know, listen to this on Spotify or Anchor or wherever they can, they can find those links as well. So uh, as we're wrapping things up, I'm just curious, uh, what are each of you maybe watching or listening or reading these days? It doesn't have to be rugby related. It can be if you really, if you really want to talk about that, that's fine too. But any, any non-rugby related uh, interests are, are okay as well. I mean, I just started capital in the 21st century by thomas Piketty. i mean i'm trying to teach myself economics Ooh, interesting <laughs> i like that um i just watched don't look up on netflix the other night and you know now i'm having anxiety attacks about uh, climate change and all of the things we're ignoring so that's a whole other thing <laughs> is it is it good <laughs> that movie was crazy it's really good it's like yeah, yeah that was a good one crisis afterwards but <laughs> i want to watch it you kind of go from because it's a comedy as well so you go from like oh my god this is like the current reality to just kind of laughing <laughs> what yeah. else can you do that was yeah. great it's one of the best really, satires really i've seen in a long time it, okay. it really is good yeah. my, my, my wife and i have been eyeballing it it's got oh, leo yeah. i've got season tickets for leo so i've got to watch it eventually <laughs> yeah you should definitely watch it it's great I started reading, you know, the, the season two of The Witcher dropped, and but I started reading the actual novels by uh, Andrzej Sapkowski. He's a, I think he's from Poland. The books are really cool because he's a super like a minimalist kind of writer. He, he, you get the story in the detail, but he doesn't do it in a way that just bombards you with words. So it's really pretty cool, especially the fact that it's been translated from Polish, I think. So 
Excellent. Excellent. Lots of uh, recommendations, things we'll have to check out. Love it. All right. So that is going to wrap things up for today's episode. Uh, be sure to check out the Oklahoma City Crusaders on all the social media pages, on the website, the, uh, the, the Gmail account. That'll all be listed in the show notes. You can find those things pretty easily. Come out, give rugby a try, or just watch us play. Either way, we'd love the support. Um, you know, if you come out and play, you'll learn a new sport and you'll make some wonderful friends. Um, but this is actually episode 11 of Knowledge Brew Supreme. My goal is to reach 100 episodes. I'm only 89 away. Oh my gosh, I'm getting closer each and every day. Thank you so much for the listen. Be good, be safe. Don't hurt anyone or let anyone hurt you. Peace out. Thank <laughs> you.